There's an old adage that says, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, today's guest looks at it a little differently. To him, because of his great struggles, he has great responsibility. Hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode 67 as the Resilience Think Tank presents the Resilient Journey podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I'm joined by probably the most resilient person I've ever met. His name is Ricky Johnson, and this episode is released on this date for a reason. We'll get into Ricky's story, but suffice it to say that he's been through hell. He tells me that while he was enlisted in the Marines, the most intense battle he ever faced was with himself. His inspirational story may carry you through the day, and it might even carry you through the entire holiday season. Hello, I'm Lisa Jones, one of the managing partners of the Resilience State Tank. I want to take a moment to tell you about a special event called Ed Ford Saturday. On Saturday, December 24th, we are encouraging followers of the Resilience Think Tank and listeners of the Resilience Journey to go out and do an intentional act of kindness for someone. It can be as simple as buying a cup of coffee for a person behind you in line, donating to a local food bank, or anything that would make someone smile during the stressful holiday season. Then, I encourage you to drop us a line on LinkedIn letting us know how you paid it for. Don't forget, that's Pet Ford Saturday. December 24th. Ricky, welcome to the podcast. It's, um, it, uh, I'm just honored to have you here, man. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. So on this podcast, we talk about resilience and sometimes we talk about making organizations more resilient. Sometimes <clears throat> we talk about personal resilience and I've spoken to all kinds of people, but I think you have to be maybe the most resilient person that I've ever met. So let me just start with laying a foundation here, and then I'm going to let you fill in some details. So you're a five-year Marine veteran. Thank you for your service. I want to say that, but I also want to say thank you for your continued service because you're serving now too. You're a three-time convicted felon. Talk about Mm -hmm. that. You've been homeless. You've been the victim of sexual trauma. Your parents died young because of alcoholism. And somehow, that's still not the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Why don't you fill in the details of what I've already mentioned and then tell everyone why we picked today, December 12th, to launch this episode of the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, So, Mr. Hoffman, um, originally, I'm from Southeast Missouri. Um, I now reside here in Jacksonville, North Carolina with my wife. Uh, my wife, is a, she's a therapist, clinician. She's employed uh, by the Marine Corps on Camp Lejeune. Um, I come from a small town of about 3,500 people. Um, you know, I had, a good, I had a good family, but I was raised in substance use, and I was exposed to it, you know, at an early age. Hmm. Um, I don't blame them for the choices that I made, uh, but it impacted my life, and um, I aspired to be that. Um, also, as a as a small child, I was a uh, I was violated sexually by a family member, and you know, as you mentioned, I did lose both my parents to alcoholism at the age of forty nine. My mother was, and my father was fifty two. Wow. Um, I was a mama's boy, and um, you know, I used my mother's death as an excuse to get more heavily involved in substance use, and I'll get to that here here, here shortly. 
I had my son at a young age. Um, I was 17 years old. I was a boy having a baby. I thought I was a man and I needed some guidance, some structure and discipline. Uh, so I joined the Marine Corps and the, and the Marine Corps, uh, they provided that for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. as you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a five-year Marine veteran. I was a 1391 bulk fuel specialist. Uh, that's a fancy way of saying that I used to pump gas uh, for the Marine Corps. Okay. Um, I never was deployed. I never saw combat. Uh, my most, the most intense battles that I ever fought uh, were with myself. Um, I discharged from the Marine Corps and, um, I had good intentions. I was going to be the father to my son. I didn't have, uh, my biological father wasn't a bad man, but he was just in and out of my life due to his own struggles with substance use. Um, when I returned back to Southeast Missouri, if I told you that I was, if I, if I said that I made my son a priority, I'd be lying to you. Hmm. Um, my priority was methamphetamine, alcohol, and pills that came before everything, including my son. Uh, my son saw me get high. I let my son get high in front of me. On multiple occasions, I was so intoxicated from alcohol and pills, my son saw me covered in my own urine. Um, I used to take my son with me on drug deals, and I know that sounds very twisted and disgusting because it is. My way of thinking uh, was very twisted and disgusting. In my mind, I was showing my son the right way how to do the wrong thing, and I had so much guilt and shame uh, that I couldn't tell him no. In this time period, um, well, I, I, let, me, let me take a step back. I spent about 10 years in and out of active addiction. Um, you know, I lost everything multiple times, divorced twice. Um, I was catching felony drug charges, DWIs. As you mentioned, I'm also a three-time convicted felon uh, for methamphetamines and DWIs. I spent some time in prison. Um, I paid into the state of Missouri close to $16,000 in fines and court costs. After, after I got out of the Marine Corps, as I mentioned, I spent 10 years in active addiction. Um, I ended up homeless for a couple of years. And when I say homeless, I was couch surfing um, and, I, and I was, you know, my, my stepdad got sick of my mess. Uh, my stepdad is the only dad that I ever knew. And he's a good man. And a lot of who I am today is because who I am today is because because of how he raised me. And when I was living with him, he just said, listen, Ricky, uh, you won't stop stealing from me. You're a terrible example to Landon. Um, you won't keep a job. He's like, I'm done with you. Figure it out. And he puts me out. And this is when the transition took place in my life. I ended up in a rescue mission. Um, and in that rescue mission, you know, I'm not the most religious individual, but I'm very spiritual. A quote that I live by is, a religious man fears hell. A spiritual man comes from it. And in that rescue mission, I said, God, if you get me out of this pits of hell, I'll always get back to the next man. I'll never doubt you when things don't go my way. And I'll always give you credit when I'm blessed. And I stood on that prayer and I meant it. At that rescue mission, I crossed paths with an angel. Uh, she's now my wife. Mm. And, you know, meeting her changed everything for me. She believed in me. She saw something I didn't see, and it just motivated me to be the best possible man that I could be. Um, I'm married way out of my league. Um, I joked everyone is my wife's got two master's degrees, and I got three felonies. So we're like the yin and the yang. We, we balance one another out. Um, I met this amazing woman, my soulmate. You know, my life was taking off. I was, so, I was finally sober for the first time in my life. I was using my GI Bill going to college, you know, making the dean's list. And you know, I was repairing relationships with, with my family, with the community that I terrorized, my hometown. And most important, I was finally able to be the father to my son that I neglected being for so long. Right. Uh, but all that time that I spent worrying about what Ricky wanted, what Ricky needed, poor Ricky, uh, Ricky's addiction, I neglected the person that needed me the most, and that was my son. Um, all the broken promises, the letdowns, the lies. You know, I was I was the parent that would tell my son, "I love you more than life, and I'll do anything for you." Uh, but I, but but my conduct proved that I was a liar. I kept putting other substance users, criminal activity, 
and my own choices above my son. Uh, the message I was sending to him was, you know, these people in this life is more important than spending time with you. Uh, to make a long story short, as you mentioned, um, I lost my son to suicide on December 12th of 2015. Um, I'm very transparent about it. You know, my con my conduct impacted his mental health. And I, and I share that for a reason so it can help hold other people accountable if they're making the same choices that we're making. You know, the way that we treat people matters. So uh, that's the early part of my life uh, before I started public speaking and traveling and doing community outreach. So, and, and I appreciate the transparency that you came into this interview with and, and that you carried through it. I, I have some questions about your son's suicide. You've given mm -hmm. me permission to ask these. And then I do want to spend a fair amount of time on the work that you're doing now, because it demonstrates right. your resilience and how you have taken the struggles of your life and have turned them are turning them into to positive things. But let's let's go back. So are you aware now what was troubling Landon so much that he thought that killing himself was the only way out? So my son had he, he had talked about it previously. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously when when we're when we are um when our own flesh and blood is thinking of self-harm or suicide. There's there was a lot of signs there, but I didn't I didn't want to believe it. I don't I don't want to think that that was happening. You know, my son my son and his girlfriend uh, were having some they were having some issues, and you know um, I think he made you know he wrote me a letter. He cleaned his room. He made he, his behaviors uh, were out of the ordinary, and that's what I talk you know I talk about that a lot in my presentation. Um, you know, I talked to my son on the phone seven hours prior to his death. Uh, he told me he loved me. I said, I love you too, man. And he was going to, he was supposed to come live with my wife and I, my wife is not his biological mother, but he was going to come stay with us. Yep. Uh, seven hours later, um, they found him in a city park where he'd hung himself. So uh, that's, um, there was, there were signs there. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and sorry, another, uh, one of the, one of the huge red flags that I didn't see going through it, but I call I, the way I frame it is I say he rocked me to sleep. And this is what I mean by that. Um, speaking to my son on the phone, he was content. He was at peace. He seemed happy. Right. Going through it, I didn't see it. But looking back, that conversation, his that extreme behavior changed from depression to happiness in a matter of a few days. Or you know, he was depressed for a while, then all of a sudden he was happy. Mm -hmm. Looking back at that conversation, he knew that he wasn't going to hurt anymore. Um, he was content. He had done made his decision. He wrote me a letter, and I share that publicly so people can pay attention to those type of extreme behavior changes. I've heard that before where people have made a decision. And so, like you said, they feel like their struggles are over. And, and so that they, they get this outward attitude change. That's hard. That's hard to reconcile. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's heavy to carry. Um, it never goes away. I reflect on it a lot. L let me ask you by this time, You've already been down that broken road of uh, obviously the childhood that you had and the incarcerations and the felonies and things like that. And, and then you're hit with this. What did you hold on to to keep going? Um, there's many different things. I've, I'd finally come to a place in my life where I enjoyed my own company. I loved who I had. I loved who I'd become. Um, and, and sorry to be honest with you. You know, a lot of people thought that I was going to go back to my old life, but my, you know, have, having somebody like my wife, you know, with me, 
that benefited me tremendously. And I tell people I would rather be dead than being the life I used to live, you know, mm-hmm. as far as being in addiction and all the chaos that comes with that. Um, there was many things that kept me hanging on. You know, I know God, I knew God had a plan for my life. I'm not a pity individual. I'm not somebody that goes, God, why me? Why'd you do this to me? Um, my son's death killed me, but it inspired me. It inspired me to be a better person. And that's the way that I chose to look at that whole scenario. It held me, it, it held me accountable and it, and it forced me to look, you know, put my life in perspective. Doesn't mean that um, it was easy. It doesn't mean that it's easy today. Uh, there's many days that I wake up discontent. You know, why am I, why are you doing, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, you guys are the, you are my reason why. When I go speak with a high school or the Marines or whoever I'm talking to, they're, they help hold me accountable. I care to be a good person for them. Um, I care to be who I say that I am in front of them and also behind the curtain. So there's many different things that, um, that help hold me accountable today. And probably, you know, and, you know, first and foremost, it was my wife, you know, having, having a support like her. Um, I wouldn't be here without her. I, I'm the man that I, I learned to be the man that I am today through my wife. So, so, so let's talk about the work then, because you go, you speak to high school students, you speak to the military. Tell me about your message and tell me about the response you get from the people you talk to. Sure. So, sir, I, prior to, prior to me uh, speaking full time, I worked in community outreach for four years with the homeless veteran population. Um, I'm a peer support specialist um, with the organization I worked for. I was like the tip of the spear. I was like, I was the guy going into the woods behind a dumpster, wherever there might be an individual at in a crisis or a struggle, mm-hmm. I would go to them and, tr- and try to provide them some assistance. And, and the reason I'm sharing this piece with you so I can paint the picture for you. I had no experience public speaking. Uh, community outreach benefited me tremendously with that. When I felt like God was calling me to public speak um, four years ago, I was standing in front of a mirror with an iPad for hours, sweating and crying and talking. I, I still stutter. I probably public spoke over 300 times, and I'm not the I'm not the greatest at any one thing, but no matter what, I'm going to show up. And what I always tell people, you know, with me stuttering in that mirror and crying, I'd ask God, like, why are you having to do this? Mm. You know, whatever whatever we fear the most, when we overcome it, that's going to become our greatest strength, and that's what public speaking was for me. And like I said, I'm not great. I'm not great at, at any one thing. I just don't, I don't fear failure. If I fall down, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to get better and I'm going to keep pushing forward. So when I began, uh, you know, if you'd have told me five years ago that I'd be speaking in a prison or speaking in front of 600 high school kids or at a, at a, a, a conference in front of 600 healthcare professionals, I would, I never would have believed it, but you know, that's, that's where I am today. Um, I speak at high schools, prisons, jails, churches, uh, treatment facilities, wherever I'm invited at, I show up and speak. 99.9% of the time, the response is, I, I have a good response because most, you know, most, there's always going to be somebody in that audience that, that is going through something I'm talking, that I'm speaking about, right. or that can relate to it because I talk about so many different things. Um, occasionally at a high school, you know, I, I have, I've had to call out a couple of kids for laughing, being a distraction. And what, usually what that means is when I'm speaking about sexual trauma or when I'm speaking about something they're going through, they'll laugh as a defense mechanism. And by me calling, by me calling them out, that's pretty much me letting them know, Hey, I love you enough and care enough about you to hold you accountable. But usually the, um, I've never really had a bad response to be honest with you. Uh, like I said, I, my pro the, my approach is not overly imposing. I'm not judgmental. I'm not there to tell people, 
um, I'm right and you're wrong and this is what you need to do. I do it in a way that is with compassion, but also accountability and transparency as well. Have you had anyone come up to you afterwards and say anything like, hey, thank you for this. I needed this or you've changed my perspective or talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. All the time, Um, you know, especially in the prisons and with the Marine, when I speak to the active duty service members and the high school kids, more times than I can count, I've had, you know, the young, you know, the youth at the high schools, they've come up to me and said, sir, everything you talked about is what I'm going through right now with my parents. My, my dad, my dad is you is what they've told me. So by me being there and letting them see this is where I started and this is where I am now, it just gives them some hope to see. It gives them a little bit of hope to think maybe my, my parents can come out of this as well. Um, at the prisons, I have I always get a lot of great feedback and questions uh, with the Marines when I speak on Camp Lejeune. So, yeah, I, I get approached often about everything I'm talking about. I'm wondering if in your messaging, do you talk about the impact of suicide on those who are left behind? Yes, uh, I share that. I'm very open about that as well. My son was a good kid. He was not a selfish individual at all. Um, and I know by him taking his life, he, he, he didn't have intentions of his intention wasn't to pass on to me and other people that love him all the all the weight that he was carrying. But it, but there's an unintentional selfish piece of suicide. That doesn't mean my son was my son or anybody else is a selfish person. But like I said, he unintentionally pushed it all on to other people. Um, it sends a ripple effect of devastation and destruction. Um, I carried every single day. I have, I still, I'm not the kind of person, no, I'm not the kind of person that's going to tell you I have no regrets. I have a ton of regrets. I learned from it and I grew from it, but that does, that doesn't mean I feel good about, you know, impacting somebody's life in a negative way. I still think about that stuff all the time. I don't consume myself with it, but I reflect on it to keep from going back to it. And it helps hold me accountable. You know, there's a lot of people that say, Ricky, you got to let that go. You got to forgive yourself and all that. My point by talking about it is I keep it near me so I don't forget about it. Like I said, so I don't resort back to those same mistakes. That's why I talk about it so publicly. And that's a that's a healthy approach, because what you don't want to do is it's not wallowing in the past. Yes, it's 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 realizing that where you've come from is somewhere you don't want to go back to. Like you said, you'd rather be dead than go back to that life again. Absolutely. On the day that this episode is released, December 12th, it's also a day that you're being honored at the Off-Road Outreach's Suicide Prevention Partner of the Year. Uh, Talk a little bit about that uh, that organization and uh, maybe, you know, what an award like that means to you. Yeah, so... um... Her name is Stacy Buckner. Stacy is she's an Army veteran as well. The organization is called Off Road Outreach, and they're out of a <clears throat> they're in Fayetteville, North Carolina. They do a lot of great work within the veteran population, the homeless veteran population. A lot of donations. Stacy and I crossed paths a couple of years ago. Um, I can't remember exactly where it was at, but that's how we connected. Um, the award that I'm getting, it's a very humbling honor. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not somebody that's going to tell you that I'm self-made. Uh, there was a lot of people that have believed in me, that mentored me, that supported me along the way. Um, so for me to be able to, um, you know, receive this award on the behalf of everybody that supported me, it's a, it's a huge honor. It's going to be an honor to have my wife there with me. It's going to be an honor to have my former director 
of the organization I worked for, Veterans Services of the Carolinas. He's the one who discovered me. So to have him there with me, to be able to thank him, you know, for what he's done for me, but also to thank my wife, you know, on the day that on the anniversary of my son's death, it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I know that uh, part of the work that you do to raise awareness also involves you uh, shirtless, <laughs> standing with a sign and doing push-ups. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about that. So um, for my for my son's birthday and also uh, for the anniversary of my son's death here in Jacksonville, North Carolina, on uh, North Marine Boulevard up by Walmart, you know, Jacksonville's where Camp Lejeune is at. There's it's the the Marine the uh, the Marine Corps is a huge population here. So on, the, on those days of his on the on his birthday and also on his the anniversary of his death, I hold a sign. Uh, the sign more or less, you know, says, my, "I lost my son on this day seven years ago." Um, I do this. You know, I'm doing it for suicide prevention and awareness, and also the people we've lost to suicide and veterans as well. Uh, for every for every honk, I'll give uh, 22 push-ups. I'll give a free fist bump or a free hug, and I I'm gonna do it this Saturday. And I'll probably do it for probably three or four hours. So it's always, um, I enjoy doing it. I, I get a lot of hugs. I mean, people get out of their cars at the, uh, at the, at the intersection and come up and, you know, give me a hug or fist bump or, you know, they'll donate money. So the, a lot of the money that gets, you know, a lot of people donate to me through social media. Um, what I do with that money is when I go into the prisons or when I go speak on with the active duty military or, or when I go into the high schools, I do a push-up competition and I bring nice. candy bars with me. And if I usually, I try to bring enough for everyone in attendance. And what the, the purpose of me doing that is I want to encourage people to don't be afraid to compete. No matter if you think you're going to win or lose, still get up there and do it. And, you know, even if I win, we'll, we'll do push-ups for one minute. Even if I win, I'll still, I'll still give candy bars to everybody that's in attendance. You know, obviously when I go to the prisons and jails, those candy bars are a big deal. You know, and I let those guys know, Hey, listen, you know, not only do I care about you, there's people that donated money to me all over the from all over the country that care about you as well that you're not forgotten about. And those candy bars, um, it does a lot for morale. I, I know there's a significance to the 22 push-ups. Um, you want to talk about that? Yes, sir. Well, 22 is the number that's been that's that's. I think that was a national average uh, for the veterans that we lose and act and active duty service members um, every day to suicide. That number may that may have increased. I'm not sure, but that's that's been the, that's been the national number for a while. That's, so that's 20, that's why I do the 22 push-ups. 22 active or former service members die by suicide every day. That's 8,000 a year. We don't pay enough attention to that, do we? It's a uh, yeah. It's a uh, it's something that definitely could uh, could improve, obviously. And, you know, you know, sorry about me doing the push-ups here in Jacksonville. The last time I did that, um, I was at the gym where I work out at, and a guy walks up to me that I've never even talked to, but I see him at the gym. And he said, was that you doing push-ups um, at the intersection? I said, yes, sir. He said, I just want to tell you, you know, the day that I saw you doing that and I read your sign, he said, I was having some bad thoughts. He said, um, seeing you, he said, seeing you do that help carry me through the day. He's like, keep, keep doing it. It might, it means something to a lot of people. So hearing things like that is like confirmation, you know, the why I keep doing this. So I, I said at the beginning that I think you might be the most resilient person that I've ever met. And I'm going to tell you why I said that it's, 
yes, it's because of all of the things that we've talked about that you've been through. But it's not just that. And it's not just that you are now living a solid, productive life, but it's now that you're carrying other people, that you're getting other people through their worst days. Is It's just the definition of resilience. And I, I just got to tell you, man, hats off to you. Uh, I'm I'm just proud to know you. I got a, a couple of things I, I want to wrap up here with. Sure. You, you're talking about donations. And we have been talking on the podcast here for a couple of weeks now about something that my wife and I started, and it's called Pay It Forward Saturday. So just bear with me for a second. So Pay It <laughs> Forward Saturday is the last Saturday before Christmas. And we just encourage people to go out and do an intentional act of kindness for someone. I, it doesn't matter who, and it doesn't matter what. Treat someone with unexpected kindness. Buy coffee for somebody behind you in line, or buy someone's breakfast, or do something. I would like people to consider also, as part of Pay It Forward Saturday this, this year and future years, to contribute to your fund. So walk us through how they would do that uh, through some kind of either social media or giving <laughs> online. So the way people donate to me is through Facebook pay on my, on my Facebook page of Ricky Johnson. And I can also accept uh, cash app as well. So that's how I've been receiving donations uh, previously. I thought to, to quote this song and it's a country song that says that uh, uh, God bless the broken road right? That, that led me to yes, you. Sir. And there's a line in there that says that every long lost dream led me to where you are. And I know, man, that you've had your share of long lost dreams, but you are definitely a leader. You're definitely doing God's work. And I appreciate you. And I'm going to get you out of here on just two things. And this is maybe the most important question uh, of the half hour that we've spent together. What would you say to someone right now who's listening <laughs> They're struggling. They feel like they can't go on. Sure. What's your advice? <clears throat> Don't give up. Um, there's going to be better days ahead. I know right now you're thinking, why am I going through this? Why am I feeling this way? You know, God, why are you doing this to me? And I'm going to give you my answer. I don't know why bad things happen. Okay. I don't, I don't answer for other people, but I know for me, me going through those things has helped me to support other people. So if, if somebody's going through that, this is what I want to say to them. You're probably, like I said, you're asking, why am I going through this? You're going to get through it. You're going to gain strength. You're going to gain wisdom. And down the road, you're going to crash. You're going to cross paths with somebody who's going through the exact same situation that you endured and overcame. You're going to have the wisdom and experience to be able to support them exactly like I'm supporting you. And it's going to come to you. That's the reason I went through that. So don't give up. You're loved. You matter. Um, you know, connection saves lives. Being somebody listen to you, say somebody listening to us saves lives as well. So um, hang in there and stay in the fight. A quote, a quote that I live by every single day is you don't have to be great from the beginning, but you must begin to become great. Keep that in mind. You're a, you're a walking motivational poster is what you are. <laughs> and, and, and I appreciate it. The last thing is I'll get you out of here on this. How can people connect with you? It's the best way for you to build your network. Um, Facebook under Ricky Johnson Jr. And also on LinkedIn. Those are the two um, main things that I use to network and connect with people. So 
I'm very open. I'm very approachable. I try to answer every message I get personally. Um, you know, send me a friend request or follow me on Facebook. I, I treat, I don't look at, I don't look at Facebook and LinkedIn as my followers. I look at us as a family. I don't, I don't ever want, I don't ever want people to think that I see myself as above other people. I treat everybody the same, like I want to be treated. And, um, you know, I'm good to people and they're good to me. Well, I appreciate you being here. Ricky, thanks for doing this. Yes, sir. I want to thank Ricky Johnson for being my special guest today on the podcast. And let me say this, if you're struggling with mental health or depression or thoughts of suicide, please reach out to someone. And if you want, reach right out to Ricky and you can catch him on Facebook or through LinkedIn. And I'm sure he would be happy to have a conversation with you. That uh, first step is hard, but it's worth doing. I also want to thank the Resilience Think Tank for sponsoring the podcast. And I look forward to to next week as I'm joined by Jane Romanchuk. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.